The following audio is from Fellowship Church in Nederland, Texas. Our mission, to love God, love others, and make disciples. For more information about fellowship, visit fellowshiptx.org. All right, so again, reminding us context here. Uh, we're dealing, uh, Peter's dealing with the church who's facing persecution, about to uh, face even greater persecution. And in chapter 5, verse 12, which is where we'll uh, finish up next week, he says, I've written you briefly in order to encourage you and to testify that this is the true grace of God, so stand firm it. So just a quick reminder of where he's taken us so far. Your salvation, if genuine, will yield Christian maturity through the power of the Holy Spirit in you. That's what Christianity looks like. If you put your faith and hope in Christ, not out of your own strength, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, he will come in, he will sanctify you in truth and grow you and mature you as a believer so that today should look a lot different in your Christian walk than it did the day that you professed Jesus. As you grow in Christ, you mature and the Holy Spirit changes who you are. And that radical change in identity and perspective builds confidence in God. When you see God working in your life, you see God doing something in who you are as a person, changing you from what you used to be into the image of his son. When you see God working that in your life, that builds a confidence in God, right? It builds a faith that God is real and he's doing a real work in your life. And nobody can speak against that, right? Nobody can speak against your testimony of what God has done in your life, the new creation that he's made you into. That radical change in identity and perspective builds that confidence in God, enabling you to endure suffering for the glory of God. That's kind of the point that Peter's been building. He started with this idea of maturing in Christ, seeing God work in your life, and how that builds your faith in God, and how that slowly enables you to be able to get to a point where you can endure suffering for the glory of God. And he told us to arm ourselves with Christ-like understanding. What does that look like? He said Jesus endured suffering so that he might bring you to God. So Christ-like understanding means that even in the midst of suffering, we live with an intense focus completely on the glory of God and building his kingdom. That's what it means to have Christ-like understanding, is that your life is not lived for yourself. Your life is lived for the glory of God and building his kingdom. And then Peter told us to not just be partakers in the power of the Spirit to make us spiritually alive, right? This is a doctrinal truth. When we read Scripture, we see that the Holy Spirit comes in and makes you alive. You once were dead in your sins and trespasses, but you've been made alive uh, with Christ through the power of the Spirit. <clears throat> but not only that, we, we walk in the power of the Spirit. So yes, we have this doctrine of truth that you've been made alive in the Spirit, but there should be fruit of that. There should be a difference in your life that you are walking in the Spirit daily. And last week, we kind of got to the heart of Peter's letter. We said that as we walk in the Spirit, we will suffer, and we should handle that suffering a certain way. We said, first of all, we should expect suffering. That as a follower of Jesus, Jesus suffered, so following Jesus means suffering. It means that you'll be ridiculed for your faith. It means that you'll be persecuted. That we should rejoice in that suffering. Not only should we expect it, but we should rejoice it because it means that we get to be like Jesus. And that we're not ashamed of Christian suffering. And that we entrust that suffering to a faithful and powerful God. That as we walk through suffering in life, we trust, we entrust that to the Father. All right, so today we've reached the final chapter of 1 Peter. And we're actually, this uh, next Sunday will be the last week in 1 Peter. And then we'll move on to some different stuff. But uh, Peter starts to wrap up his letter in chapter 5. And after warning his readers of the coming fiery ordeal and challenging them to entrust their suffering to God, he turns his focus 
to leaders within the church. So let's read it together. Uh, Verse 1, we'll read through verse 5. He says, I exhort the elders among you as as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those, who entr- uh, over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. In the same way, you who are younger, be, sub- uh, be subject to the elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble." So why would Peter do this? Why why does he see fit to add this in as he starts to conclude and wrap things up? I think the clue is in in what we studied last week. Most translations, and you may have one, most translations have a transitional word at the beginning of verse 1 in in chapter 5. Your translation may say so or therefore or something like that. Peter isn't starting a totally new thought here. It's not like he's like, all right, we're done talking about suffering, so now let's talk about the elders. No, this is a, a continuous thought that he's uh, building on from last week. So here's the idea. In light of the impending fiery ordeal and the fact that we should entrust our suffering to a faithful and powerful God, leaders within the church need to be prepared to lead God's people through it. That's the point. Hey, there's this fiery ordeal that's coming, and elders and leaders within the church, you need to be ready to lead people through it. So let's take a deeper look at what Peter's talking about here. And I'm going to go ahead and give you the outline for those of you who are like, uh, type A, and you want to know where we're going, I'm going to go ahead and give you the roadmap of where we're going this morning. I'm going to give you three, challenger, three challenges for leaders within the church, plus one challenge for all believers at the end. So first challenge for leaders, we see a call for leaders. Look at verse 1. He says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. Um, my dad's really involved in uh, an organization called the YMBL. It's, uh, uh, it's who puts on the fair every year. They put on the fair and the rodeo, and they have other events and stuff like that. In fact, a few years ago, he was the president of the organization. Uh, well, last year, at the livestock auction that they do every year, uh, I asked him what he was doing for it, and he basically told me that his job was to collect goat pee. To which I said, oh, how the mighty have fallen. Just a few years ago, you were the president, and now you're, you've got the job of collecting goat pee. But, and, and I was, I'm not a livestock person, so I was just like, why, why do you need to collect goat pee? Like, I don't know, what do you do with that? Apparently, they test it to make sure that no one's breaking the rules with, like, any kind of, like, special drugs or anything with, for the animal to make them bigger than they're supposed to be. But his job was to sit there and wait, watch till the goat peed, and hurry up and collect it. And if you miss it, you're out of luck because it's not like the goat's going to pee on command. And, uh, and so I made the joke, oh, how the mighty have fallen. And he responded with this very, uh, like, like a Jesus juke. You've ever heard of a Jesus juke where someone just, like, you make a joke about something, someone brings Jesus into it to make you feel guilty? That's what he did. Uh, he said, good leaders lead by serving in the trenches with his people, not shouting at them from outside. Something to that effect. It may not have been so like poetic, but it was something to that effect. So if refining judgment begins with the household of God, remember we talked about that last week. If refining judgment begins with the household of God, you better believe it starts with leaders within the household first. 
You better believe that that refining judgment is going to begin with the leaders in that household first. Good spiritual leaders won't stand outside of the fire coaching the church through the fire. Good spiritual leaders will lead the way through the fire. Do you see that? Do you see how important that is? A good spiritual leader is not going to stand outside and say, you guys enjoy that suffering. I got my Benz out here, my Rolex, my $2,000 suit. That's not how it works, right? A good spiritual leader is going to say, let's go, guys. I'm leading the way. They're going to go down with the ship. This is the point Peter's making here. He says, I exhort the elders. This is a plea to the elders within the church to be prepared to lead as well. There's a sobering level of responsibility that comes with leading God's people. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, since they keep watch over your souls as one who will give an account. That is a sobering amount of responsibility. He says, So that they can do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Spiritual leaders will give an account for how they led the church. Did they lead them through the fire? Or did they stand outside and coach people through it? Did they lead people through the, uh, through the truth of God's word? Or did they itch their ears in order to gain public approval? Acts 20, 28 says this, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers, to shepherd the church of God, listen to this part, which he purchased with his own blood. Again, a sobering thought. Jesus purchased the church with his own blood. This isn't my church. This isn't Julian's church. This isn't our deacon's church. This is the church of God. He owns it. It's his church. It's not ours. It was bought by Jesus. We're just stewards of it. He's entrusted us to oversee it, and we'll give an account for how we steward it. Peter chooses to address and exhort these leaders because spiritual leadership is hard, but leading through the fiery ordeal is even harder. Leading God's people through refining judgment is no easy task. But look how Peter appeals to these leaders. Look how it, he, he, he tries to gain uh, their ear and their respect. He says, first of all, as a fellow elder. And he's not trying to exert any kind of authority here, right? He could have said as an apostle, and that would have been, hey, I'm in charge here. I'm an apostle. You have to listen to me because there was an apostolic authority at this time, right? Where the, uh, the apostles were able to say, here's how this works. And people were responded with obedience. That's not what he says here. He says, as a fellow elder. In other words, as someone who's right there in the trenches with you, as someone who is suffering, who is leading the way through the suffering, Paul says, hey, or Peter says, hey, I'm with you. I'm with you in this. I get it. I'm facing suffering too. We know that Peter gave his life for the gospel, right? He says, I'm with you in this. I'm shoulder to shoulder with you. He also says, as a witness to the sufferings of Christ, not only as an elder, but as a witness to the sufferings of Christ. He says, as someone who was there and saw the example of Christ. Peter was there. He watched Jesus give his life. Right? He saw the sufferings that Christ endured. He endured his fiery ordeal. He endured suffering for the sake of God's glory and his kingdom. And Peter saw the sufferings of Christ. He saw the beatings. He saw the mockery. He saw the death. Peter knew that Jesus was suffering. He knew what it looked like. Remember what he said in chapter 2, verse 21. He says, for you were called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his, in his steps. Jesus is our example in how we endure the fiery ordeal. 
He's the example. He sets the example. We endure suffering because Jesus endured suffering. We remain even in the midst of immense persecution because Jesus remained. Peter was a personal witness to this. He saw the sufferings of Christ. He's challenging these elders as someone who witnessed the example Christ left for us. And then his final plea is as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. So as a fellow elder, as someone who stands shoulder to shoulder, also as someone who witnessed the example of Christ set before us, and finally as someone who, with this, who has the same perspective in life. As all believers, this is the perspective we, we should have. We've been talking about this almost every week. I pointed that out a couple weeks ago, that almost every week Peter's saying, get your mind right. Get your head in the game. Get your mind right. He says, as one who shares in the glory to be revealed. In other words, as someone who has set their focus on eternity. As someone who has cast aside all the temporal junk in this world. Right? There's so many things that you can get focused on. He says, as someone who's tossed all that stuff aside and has set his focus on the hope of glory. We need spiritual leaders to get this. We need men and women to accept the sobering appointment of the Holy Spirit to stand up and lead God's people and lead them well. The church is in desperate need of this. Not with a casual approach, but with seriousness and intentionality. Which leads us to the next point. What's the responsibility of these leaders? Look at verse 2. Shepherd God's flock among you. Not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not out of greed for money, but eagerly. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. I've been asked to serve on different boards and help with things in the community. Uh, this week, I was talking to the counselor at Langham, and they've asked us to uh, start this backpack buddy thing where we uh, help provide uh, meals for kids on the weekends. They get free lunch at school, but they don't have food on the weekend, and so um, we've been asked to help with that. And so anytime I've ever, ever asked to do something like that, my first response is probably about 75 questions. And I typed up this big, long email to this poor lady and sent her, like, I have a bazillion questions. I'm sorry, but I want to make sure that I understand fully what the responsibility is before I ever say, yes, I'm in. Right? Because I don't want to overcommit and underproduce. Right? That's embarrassing. Nobody wants to be that guy. Right? And so I'm very, like, that's a big, important thing for me to make sure that I understand what I'm signing up for. So this is what Peter does. He jumps right off into what the elders are assuming responsibility for within the church. Sorry, guys. I know everybody's dealing with, like, sinus junk right now. Um, He says, shepherd God's flock among you. That's the responsibility. That's the responsibility of the elders within the church. Shepherd God's flock among you. So right off the bat, we're reminded again, it's not our church. It's God's, right? Shepherd God's flock among you. He's the chief shepherd. He's the only good shepherd. And we can see his heart regarding this in Matthew 9. Matthew 9, 36, when he saw the crowds talking about Jesus, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus is a loving and caring shepherd. He has great love for his sheep, and he has entrusted the care of those sheep to elders in the church. That's a big deal. The fact that Christ, he trusts elders within the church to to bear that responsibility to care for the sheep. Three times in John 21, Jesus tells Peter, feed his sheep, feed his sheep, feed his sheep. This is the command that Peter is issuing. Leaders within the church are commanded to feed the sheep, to shepherd them with intent. But how are they to shepherd? Peter gives us three ways to shepherd. First of all, he says shepherd with passion. He says not overseeing out of compulsion 
but willingly. Shepherding should never become something that we do out of compulsion. It should never be something that, that we do without passion. It should be something that we're incredibly passionate about. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 16. He says, For I pre- if I preach the gospel, I have no reason to boast, because I am compelled to preach. And woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. For if I do, th- for, uh, if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if I am unwillingly, I am entrusted with commission. What then is my reward? To preach the gospel and to offer it free of charge and not make full use of my rights in the gospel. Paul says, I'm compelled to preach. He says, I do this willingly. This is something that God has built within me. This is something God's called me to. And I do it willingly. Feeding the sheep shouldn't be something the shepherd is passionate about. And if we're passionate about it, we won't be lazy with it. It won't be something that's this burdensome task that we dread. We'll love it. It'll be things that that puts wind in our sails. Shepherding is not a burden for the shepherd. We're commissioned for this. We're created for it. We can't fathom doing anything different. Just like Paul says, woe to us if we don't. The capacity might shift, but the commission to feed the sheep is still there. I've encountered guys before who are full-time pastors, ministers, and their view of that responsibility is that it's a job. It's a nine-to-five, punch the clock, make sure that my responsibilities are taken care of, and then I go home. That's not a shepherd. Shepherding is not a responsibility. It's not, it's not something I've got to check this box, nine-to-five. It, it is something that brings us life because we were commissioned. We were created for it. Shepherd with pure motives, that's the next thing he says, not out of greed for money but eagerly. Not only should we lead with passion, but we should lead with the right motives. I was visiting with a guy one time who was a pastor, and uh, we went to uh, these people's house. And on the way there, he says, hey, this, this guy is a plumber, and we need a plumber in our church. We got a lot of projects coming up. We need a plumber in this church. He's like, so when we go there, we got to make a good impression so that they'll join. They'll do all this free work for the church. That's, and that's incredibly, that's a horrible motive. Right, that's, that's not the way things should be. A good shepherd doesn't view the sheep as a means to an end. There's a lot of people that get into spiritual leadership because they know they can manipulate people's desire for spiritual growth and maturity for their own gain. We see this with televangelists. Right, go watch TBN. Touch the screen, send $100 and the Lord will bless you. You'll become a millionaire. You'll have all the things you've ever wanted. It's such a lot. That's such a lie. There's nothing in the gospel that says that. Peter actually warned about these kind of false teachers in his second letter. 2 Peter 2.3 says this. He says that they will exploit you in their greed with made-up stories. Their condemnation pronounced long ago is not idle, and their destruction does not sleep. Listen, church, we need to be more discerning about people like this. The church has got to get more discerning about this. How do we miss this stuff, right? An honorable shepherd following after the chief shepherd will never view you as a means to an end. They will not be a lover of money. They will not be greedy for more. I watched a video this week of a preacher that was being investigated by the IRS. He had spent $30,000 of the church money on suits from Armani and some other high-end retail place that I'd never even heard of. The video was sickening. You know why? Because he saw no issue with it. As he's being investigated, he's like, what's the problem? 
I travel. I preach all the time. I sweat in those clothes. I got to have good suits. And it's, it's like he's, there's no, no guilt within him, no, no shame for abusing his position for personal gain. That's someone that sees sheep as a means to an end, not a body he's called to serve and feed. Some of you may have heard of this new Instagram account that's uh, it's not really even new anymore. There's an Instagram account called Preachers and Sneakers. They take pictures of these young preacher guys that are wearing sneakers that cost like five grand or more. Again, these are people who view the sheep as a means to an end. They've realized that they can use their rhetoric, their charisma, their position as a way to glean money from the sheep. That's not shepherding. And look at, look again what Peter says in Second Peter. He says, their condemnation pronounced long ago is not idle, and their destruction does not sleep. They're going to get what they are owed. They're going to get what they're owed because there is a huge responsibility of shepherding God's people. And if God has entrusted you with those sheep and you have misused them and abused them for your own personal gain, you will, you will have your reward in that. Shepherds are called to feed the sheep with pure motive. They're also called to shepherd with precedent. Look what he says, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being an example to the flock. Peter says, shepherds set the precedent. They're not to view their role with any superiority, but are called to do life with the sheep and be an example for them. In other words, if the shepherd calls the sheep to live in Christ-centered community, the shepherd lives in Christ-centered community. If the shepherd asks the sheep to give sacrificially, the shepherd gives sacrificially. If the shepherd asks the sheep to intentionally make disciples, the the shepherd is intentionally making disciples. Shepherds are not above the sheep. That's what Peter's saying. Don't lord, they don't lord any authority over the sheep. Instead, they live with the sheep as examples of what Christian living looks like. Again, in context of what Peter is writing about, here he's talking about suffering. So this means that the shepherd leads the sheep through the fiery ordeal. He doesn't stand outside of it yelling out orders. This is what shepherding looks like. Leading by example. And as, as sheep, it's important that we can discern that our leaders are leading in this way. It's important that we can discern that our spiritual leaders are leading in this way. How many of us as Christians, those of us who have been lifelong Christians, we get wrapped up in all the online preachers and the, and the guys that dress cool and have cool sayings that we can tweet out. We get wrapped up in that stuff and we lose our discernment. We, we, we get distracted by all the flashiness and the cool lights and the cool outfit and the cool fun sayings that they say and we totally set aside our discernment the Holy Spirit has given us and we follow after all the junk that they say. We make sure that we're following leaders who are passionate and not lazy, pure in their motives and not greedy. And they set, a, set the precedent by being the example of what Christian living is all about. So with all of that sobering responsibility, why would anyone get into spiritual leadership? Peter answers that next, verse 4. He says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. When I graduated college, it was four years of papers and all kinds of stuff, and I, I got into it way too late. We already had kids. 
So four years of doing ministry, I was a full-time youth pastor, uh, raising kids, loving my wife, working through school. Uh, it, was, it was an immense amount of work, a lot of lost sleep, a lot of stress. Um, and you know what I got when I finished? A piece of paper. It's, hang, it's hung up in my office. It's, a, it's, a, it's nicer than like a copier piece of paper. It's a little thicker. And it's got some like real nice print on it. I, I put it in a frame. It's hanging on my wall. But that's, what I, that's all I got, a piece of paper. Think if my office caught on fire, it would be gone. I would not have that piece of paper anymore. The, the piece of paper is, is fleeting. It's perishable. Now, I'm not advocating people ditch college or anything like that. I mean, hear, hear me out. I'm not, if you're in college right now, don't be like, Mom, I'm, 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 I'm cutting it. I'm done. Daniel said it's a, it's a waste of time. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. My point is the reward for that effort is fading. It's perishable. Even the education I got. I know some of you are thinking, well, you got an education. You got, the, you got that stuff in your brain now. I drink way too much Diet Coke for that stuff to still be in my brain. Peter's saying that the reward for shepherding God's people is unfading. It's an unfading crown of glory. Paul talked about this as well, 1 Corinthians 9, 24. He says, don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. Now everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. So here's the idea that Paul, what he's saying is that there are these runners that race. Let's put it in our context today. We've got a World Series going on right now, right? Some of you, you better be at Trunk or Treat tonight. Don't be going home and skipping to watch the Astros. They're going to lose anyway. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Whoa. I... I'm going to be honest with you. I feel like if I got up here and said some kind of heretical statement, you wouldn't respond that way. I mean, golly. I'm glad I'm not shot right now. Whew. We got a World Series going on right now. And here's the truth. There is, there's a lot. Like, we get excited about it, obviously. You guys are pretty passionate about it. But here's the deal. Ten years from now, ain't nobody going to remember who won that World Series. You can go look it up on Google. And some kind of like weird fanatic might remember, but that trophy they get, it's, it's, it's fading, it's temporal. As much glory as there may be even in winning it this year, as much as we may get excited about it, it's, it's, it's temporal, right? And that's why you see so many people who expend their entire lives on things like that. When they receive it, it's in that moment that they realize, this didn't fix me. Right? This, didn't, this didn't really bring the hope and the, the fulfillment I thought it was going to bring. Peter says that the reward for spiritual leaders, it's unfading. It doesn't perish. It doesn't go away. And a lot of spiritual leaders forget this is what we're laboring for. A lot of spiritual leaders forget that this is, this is the reward that we're doing this for. We get wrapped up in our fleshly enjoyment of public approval. And before you know it, we're preaching for the amens and the attaboys at the end of the service. 
Deacons and elders get wrapped up in the honor of a title and live for the respect and applause for men. We find our identity in the position rather than the person of Christ. Peter says the reward we're receiving is imperishable. Live for that reward. Don't live for the perishable stuff. Live for the imperishable stuff. Spiritual leaders must not get wrapped up in the desires of their flesh. If we're living for that kind of stuff, then we've already received our reward, and it fades away and it goes with us. Spiritual leaders receive an imperishable reward, and that is worth it all. That's worth more than a million amens in a sermon, more than a million attaboys at the end of the service, more than a million followers online, or a legacy of fame and success, or any kind of title. The imperishable reward, the crown of glory that we get, that's what this is all about. And listen, that's so freeing because living for the imperishable crown means I don't have to be judged by my fame and success. I'll be judged by my faithfulness to feed the sheep. All right, so we've talked about three challenges for spiritual leaders. Now let's look at the one challenge for all believers. Verse 5, he says, In the same way, you who are younger, be, sub, uh, be subject to the elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Peter says in the same way, so in the same way that he exhorts the, the elders within the church, the spiritual leaders, he's now exhorting the rest of us. He says for younger, less spiritually mature believers to submit themselves to spiritual leaders within the church. Why does he specifically talk about young uh, believers here? Because a lot of young people think they got it all figured out. Right? A lot of young people think they got it all figured out. They'll ignore the wisdom of those who have been there and done that. I remember when we bought our very first house a long time ago. I think we were like 24 years old. We had this, in our minds, this really good deal. And we thought, man, this is, this is awesome. I mean, we fell in love with the house. And our parents and some other adults in our lives were like, hey, you need to get that inspected. And we are like, I don't really want to spend the money on that. And I can look, I can see, it's great, it looks awesome. And uh, they're like, yeah, you probably should get it inspected. That's like a wise thing to do. We didn't get it inspected. And we paid the penalty for it. There's like all kinds of weird little things. There's a light switch that turned the air conditioner on and off. Yeah, that's how awesome it was. Uh, so a lot, of, a lot of little things like that, you know, you, when you're young like that, you just think you've got it all figured out. I've gotten to the point now where I don't, I don't think I have anything figured out. I'm calling people all the time. I'm calling my dad all the time like, all right, what do I do about this? How do I handle this? Peter says young believers are to submit to elders within the church. And he says everyone in the church should clothe themselves with humility. That's the key ingredient that makes all of this work. It's hard for a young person to humble themselves enough to submit to a spiritual leader, and it's hard for elders to humble themselves enough to respect and, and value young believers. But how can we overcome these difficulties? Humility. Humility. There's a podcast out that's right now that's causing a lot of uh, ruckus in the church world. Uh, it's a podcast uh, about uh, a church called Mars Hill that was in the Seattle area, and uh, it's uh, called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Mars Hill was this big mega church. They had a pastor, Mark Driscoll, who really was actually a very good speaker. I mean, I, I used to listen to his sermons back then. Uh, but he was a very abusive and arrogant and f just incredibly full of himself, very narcissistic. 
Um, he was he was just completely full of himself. And so there's this this that podcast is starting to shape how people view and look at leadership within the church, which is actually a good thing. It's causing us to think and be more discerning. Uh, another example of that is a guy named James McDonald that was at a, a church in Chicago. Uh, also got fired fired because of, of his uh, demeaning spirit and how he uh, was very prideful. Um, and here, here's the point. Top-down leadership style has no place in the church. That's not how this works. We're all working together with humility, right? That's the secret ingredient. We're called, we're all called to clothe or envelop ourselves with humility. That's the, that's, that's the key. Why? Peter says, because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. If you want your ministry to be successful as a spiritual leader, humility is the key. If it's about you, then you've gotten your reward. But if you want it to be successful, and by defining success is bringing glory to God. Not how many butts are in the seat. Bringing glory to God. Right? That's the success. That's how, we, that's how we frame success. And I get that's a hard thing to measure, but that's what success is. And so humility is the key. God hates pride. We see warnings about it all over the Bible. Just, just read the book of Proverbs. Just search Humility or pride, Proverbs, and you'll get just endless amounts of scriptures. In fact, here, Peter is quoting Proverbs 3.34, which, uh, which is a, a really great verse. But also Proverbs 16.5 says, Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be sure he will not go unpunished. Pride is something God does, he detests it. He will not deal with it. It's a dangerous thing. And Paul talks about how the Christians should deal with pride in Philippians 2.3. He says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. That's what this looks like. If we're going to work together for the advancement of the gospel, for building God's kingdom, we're going to work together and, and endure the suffering that's going to come along that, with, with that. The secret ingredient is humility. This is the kind of attitude that Peter is exhorting believers to possess. God gives grace to the humble, so let's relate to one another in humility. All right, so I'm going to start wrapping this up. This is kind of a different message. And to be honest with you, I told Julian this week, I, I actually contemplated skipping this text because I was struggling to figure out how does this, how does this apply to everybody, right? This is a, mostly a, an exhortation to elders and leaders within the church. But here's where I landed. One, we need spiritual leaders. We need people that are willing to step outside of the pews and assume the responsibility that we're talking about. And, and, and maybe God is commissioning you to feed his sheep. Maybe God is commissioning you to feed his sheep. Maybe he's calling you to take a more meaningful role within the body. 1 Timothy 3.1, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. We need people that are willing to say, I'm willing to bear the responsibility of shepherding other people. It's a noble task, but it is a sobering task. And remembering that they're God's sheep is, is, is the important part there. Two, I think the church today needs some spiritual discernment when it comes to figuring out who we're going to follow. There are way too many Instagram pastors that people are just buying into because they look cool because they say something flashy. So many people are picking churches based off of how their music service is. It's like, man, their music, it's really good. 
You ask just about any professing Christian, even in Southeast Texas. Why do you guys go to that church? Oh, man, their music is just amazing. That's the go-to response. If that's your response for going, if that's your reason for going to a church, that is an unbiblical reason to go to a church. There's nowhere in Scripture it's like, thou shalt find a church with a kicking electric guitar solo. <laughs> it's not in there. The quality of, of the worship service is not why we pick churches. People are picking churches because of programs offered or the charisma of the pastor. There's just such, such incredibly unbiblical approaches. And to be honest, that's what's given birth to so much scandal within the church. And so I got Mark Driscoll's and James McDonald's. Because we as the sheep have elevated these people up in a position that they should have never been elevated to. And we've followed people that should have never been followed just because of personality traits. We as the sheep are not hungry for the word of God. We're hungry for entertainment. And we have got to figure this thing out and start following people who are worthy to be followed. Be on guard with who you submit to. Have some discernment. Don't just listen to anyone with the title preacher. Know that there are some using the word of God for their and their position for personal gain. That's out there. Peter warned against it. We just read that text in 2 Peter. There are people out there that are going to use the position of pastor for personal gain. Be on guard against it. And I'm just going to be honest with you. In most situations, not all, in most situations, people with a giant platform are so full of themselves in teaching a false gospel. Most situations. There's not hardly any big-name pastors that I would recommend you go listen to because to get to the position that they've gotten to, they've abused the sheep to get there. In one way or another, whether it's by teaching a false gospel or whether manipulating their own personality to overcome people and, and build something. They've built it in their own strength. And then three, I think that we need to submit ourselves to a spiritual leader. Everybody needs that. Everybody needs to submit themselves to a spiritual leader. I need that. So the response this morning is a little different. If God is commissioning you to be a spiritual leader, whether in full-time ministry, a lay pastor, a deacon, a teacher, or whatever, surrender to that. We need some of that in our church. I've been praying for that, that people would step up and be willing to use their spiritual gifts of teaching and leading for the glory of God. Pray for spiritual discernment when it comes to spiritual leaders. Don't just follow anybody. Have some spiritual discernment. Study the scriptures for yourself so you can discern whether it's true or whether it's not true. And humble yourself and get under spiritual authority. Humble yourself and get under spiritual authority. Would you stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? Band's going to sing here in a minute. There are going to be people that are standing off to the sides. 
uh, who would love to have a conversation with you. Again, I know this is kind of a different response time. It's a different kind of message. But if you feel like maybe God's calling you to some kind of leadership position and you just want to talk to somebody about that, pull them by the hand and say, hey, I'd love to have a conversation with you about what that looks like. Fill out a card. We'll call you this week. I'll set an appointment with you. We can talk about it. If you feel like maybe you've kind of been led astray by some spiritual leaders along the way, maybe you have a discernment problem, I would challenge you to use this time to, one, repent of that, and two, commit to spend more time in the Word so that you can know what the Word says so that you don't get led astray. And three, if you've not submitted yourself to someone's spiritual authority, a spiritual leader, then I would challenge you to commit to do that this morning. Maybe you're not a member of a church. We'd love to have you join fellowship. We'd love to talk to you about what that process looks like. Again, you can grab one of these people by the hand and say, hey, we're interested in joining the church. We'd love to have a conversation about it. They'll have you fill out a card and we'll call you this week. Set an appointment to talk about it. It's important to surrender yourself, to submit yourself to spiritual leadership. And if it's not here, that's okay. But find somewhere that you can get invested in, that you believe in what the church is doing, you believe in in, in the, the leadership of the church, and that you can submit yourself to that leadership and serve to accomplish what God has for us. So that's you during this, in this song, respond. Go grab these people by the hand and say, hey, I'd love to talk to someone about joining the fellowship and becoming a part of that church. I'm going to pray for us and however God's leading you, I would challenge you to respond. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that, that you're the great shepherd. That you're the, you're the good shepherd. And even when other spiritual leaders abuse their power and lead us in the wrong direction, God, that you are a good shepherd that we can put our hope and trust in. That our hope and trust is not in men, but in you. But God, I also thank you for the fact that you've given us spiritual leaders along the way that we can submit to and, and be discipled by. God, I thank you for the men and women in my life that have led me along the way children's teachers, the youth teachers, the, the pastors who have become friends, who have guided and directed me. And I pray that all of us would find someone to submit ourselves and that we would act with humility. We would recognize that we don't have all this figured out, that even if we've been in church our whole lives, even if we know the Bible front and back, we still have so much growth that needs to take place in our hearts. So God, I pray that your spirit would sanctify us your spirit would change us, mold us, shape us, and build humility within our hearts so that we can subject ourselves to spiritual leaders. God, give us discernment. Help us to see the counterfeits out there. Help us to know the truth of the gospel in such a way that when, when the fake is presented before us, we know that that's, that's just not right. God, I pray that you would move in this time. Lead us how you would have us go. Thank you so much for listening, and we always welcome you to join us at Fellowship Church in Nederland, Texas, where we gather, grow, give, and go.